We're continuing our James Faith That Works series tonight. We'll be focusing on James 5, verses 1 to 6 for the sermon tonight, but I'm also going to read Luke 12, 41 to 48. We'll start with James 5. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now let's turn back a few pages to Luke chapter 12. In the verses just before this, Jesus has told a parable about servants being ready for their master's return. And now Peter asks a question and Jesus responds with another story. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be, will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now, there's a couple different ways that we can understand these verses in James this evening. And the, different com- the difference comes in who James is talking about or talking to. One possibility is that James is talking about people who are outside the church. So James, so to speak, is standing in front of his congregation and he's pointing out to the rich people out there in the world. Those rich people have been oppressing the poor Christians that James is talking to and James has something to say about that. But another possibility is that James is talking to people inside the church. And if we think about it this way, James is standing in front of the congregation and he's talking to the rich people in their midst. These rich Christians have been taking advantage of the poor and James has something to say about that. Now there are good arguments for both of those possibilities. So in tonight's sermon, we'll look at it both ways. We'll start by thinking about what James has to say about rich oppressors outside the church. And then we'll talk about what James could be saying to rich people inside the church. So first, if James 5, 1 to 6 is about rich people outside the church, 
there's an important message that Christians can draw from those verses, though that message applies differently to different believers in different circumstances. There's one application for poor Christians who are struggling under oppression, and there's another application for Christians who maybe aren't struggling under oppression themselves, but who are working and serving to help victims of injustice and oppression. Now, the message for Christians struggling under oppression is that God will bring justice. For those who suffer oppression, God will bring justice. The Lord Almighty will make the wicked pay for their evil deeds. When we lived in Nigeria, the people in our area were mostly poor and powerless farmers. And they raised quite a number of crops, but one of their main cash crops was peppers. So they'd grow these peppers up in the north where we lived, but the main market for them was down in the southern part of the country. So the people by us would raise these peppers, they'd harvest them, and then they'd bring them to market. And at market, traders would buy the peppers, gather them up into huge bags, and send them down south on these huge trucks. So at certain times of the year, you would see semi after semi packed full of peppers headed down south. Now, the problem with this arrangement was that all of those middlemen traders were from the same powerful tribe. And they would get together and they would fix the price that they would pay for peppers. And they would measure out peppers in mudus, which is about how much your two hands packed really full could hold. And at the markets where we were, those traders would pay about 10 cents a mudu. But, well, you could go to a different trader. He might give you a cent more or a cent less. But basically, the price was the price, 10 cents a mudu. But when those traders got those peppers down south, they would turn around and they would sell that same handful for about $1.50. Buy at 10 cents in the north, sell for $1.50 or more down in the south. Now, of course, there were transportation expenses and there were all the things involved with moving goods in Africa. But still, that was a huge markup. These traders were making a killing and nobody could really do anything about it. If one of the people in our area complained about the price or bargained too too hard, the traders would just say, well, we're not going to buy from you. And they could go from trader to trader, and no one would buy their cash crop for the year. So instead of having a little bit of money, they would have no money. Now, this arrangement had been going on for quite a few years, and so the people in our area had pretty much just resigned themselves to it. If you spoke up for a better way, you wouldn't get anything at all. And so they just gave up on fighting it. In Nigeria today, the wages of the workmen are crying out and the cries of the harvesters are going up. The details are different, but around the world, the lives of many, many, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are characterized by injustice, by oppression, and by hopelessness. But texts like James 5 speaks to believers in those situations and gives them hope because God's justice will come. Even if things are bad right now, the wicked will pay in the end. The money, the possessions, all of the wealth that these wicked, wealthy people have collected, all of that will corrode away and burn the wicked wealthy like a fire. Even if today is a dark day, the Lord God hears the cries of the oppressed, and on the day of judgment, the oppressors will have their time to weep and wail. 
If you are an oppressed person, but you follow the Lord, you have reason to hope for justice because our Lord cares about the poor and because he will ultimately bring justice. And that is a great, great comfort for believers in difficult circumstances. But as James talks about rich oppressors in the world, there's also great comfort for those of us who maybe aren't oppressed ourselves, but who want the world to be a better place and who work against oppression and against injustice. For those who suffer oppression, God will bring justice. But also for those who fight oppression, God will bring justice. And that gives us hope and that gives us a reason to keep fighting the good fight. Those who fight injustice and oppression can depend on the fact that God will bring justice someday. We live in a very broken world. There are terrible things that happen in this world every minute of every day. And part of our calling as Christians and part of our obligation as decent people is to work to make the world a better place. But on our own strength, that is totally impossible. You win one battle against injustice and someone will figure out a way to bend the rules to their own advantage again. You change one evil law and another one will get passed. You help one orphan and there's a thousand more outside the door all crying out for help. We cannot win this fight on our own. The wrong in this world is great and strong. But even when the wrong seems so strong, God is the ruler yet. Maybe you know that song, This is my father's world. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seem off so strong, God is the ruler yet. God is the ruler yet. We do not stand hopeless and helpless before a terrible world. When we do good in the world, we are on God's side, and God will win. Because God will bring justice someday, we can carry on with doing good works. Because God will bring justice someday, we can carry on helping, orphanage, helping orphans and supporting orphanages around the world. Because God will bring justice, we can keep fighting, keep giving money to help churches and schools in our own city who are helping the poor and underprivileged. Because God will bring justice, we can fight for economic and social justice. Because God will bring justice, we can fight for the rights of the unborn. Because God will bring justice, we can stand before the rich oppressors of the world and we can declare that someday their wealth will rot and that they will be left with nothing except divine justice. Christians who suffer injustice and Christians who fight against oppression can take heart because the Lord Almighty will bring justice someday. So if James is talking about non-Christians, about the rich oppressors out there in the world, this is all good news. If James is metaphorically standing in front of us and saying, those people out there are in trouble because God will bring justice, this is a great text. But there's another side to it. As I said earlier, it's possible that James is addressing this section not to people outside the church, but to people inside the church. And if that's the case, this is still a great text, but it's maybe not an encouraging one. 
If we can point our fingers at the people outside and say they're under God's judgment, that's all well and good. But after that, we need to turn and we need to look at ourselves. And when we do that, suddenly this text can be a little harder to stomach. If James is talking to people inside the church, then this text is really a challenge to rich Christians who are not doing enough to care for the poor. And in fact, these rich Christians that James is talking to appear to be actively harming the poor. And that, James says, is totally out of tune with Christian living. When we hear this text as Christians, we can be encouraged to hear that God will bring justice. But we also need to ask ourselves if we are the rich people who James is talking to. And so these verses challenge us as rich Christians to ask ourselves, are we oppressing or taking care of the poor? Are we oppressing the poor or taking care of the poor as rich people? Now, your first thought tonight might be, I'm not a rich person. And in some respects, that's true for most of us. We don't have huge houses, or at least as huge as some of our neighbors. We don't always drive the nicest, newest, fanciest cars. We worry about money, whether we'll have enough to pay the bills, to send our kids to the school we want to, enough to enjoy our retirement. But at the same time, even if we aren't the richest people in the world, what we have compared to a lot of people in the world is amazing. We have places to live We have cars. We have food all the time. We have good schools that we can send our kids to. We live in places where we really are pretty much safe almost all the time or all the time. And none of that are things that we need to feel guilty about. God, in his gracious providence, has put us in this time and place, and he's given us lots of material blessings. And we can and should enjoy those blessings and thank God for them. But as people who have been richly blessed, we have a responsibility to use those blessings well. In that story that we read from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus praises the servant who's always ready and who's always serving his master. But but servants who live in self-centered luxury and self-indulgence are in for some serious trouble when the master comes back. That story should challenge all of us. We are a richly blessed people And we need to keep asking ourselves if we're doing enough to care for the poor. We need to be reminded that God has a heart for the poor and needy. And so as Christians, we have a responsibility to care for those who are less blessed materially than we are. We can always afford to ask ourselves if we're doing enough. Now, that's a tough question to ask ourselves. And for our whole lives, we need to wrestle with it continually. But I think in general, we as a church and we as people do pretty well. We at Faith and we in the CRC overall are pretty good at serving other people. We give money to a lot of causes. We're involved with different ministries around the city and around the world. We do a lot of volunteering and a lot of giving in a lot of ways. But still, we're human and we all have a selfish streak. And just like one of those servants in Jesus' parable, we can be tempted to think that Jesus is a long time in coming And so we can fall into just today, just this week, just this month, misusing our gifts. We can fall into enjoying more self-centered luxuries than we need and even into mistreating the less privileged around us. Now this week we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. And as you celebrate, rejoice 
really do rejoice in all the blessings that God has given you. But also ask yourself, am I doing my master's will? Am I hoarding wealth for myself? Am I living in luxury and self-indulgence? Or am I using the good gifts, the blessings that God has given me to bless those around me? God has blessed us greatly, but from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. We give thanks to God for his blessings, and we also need to pass those blessings on to others. Now that's a radically countercultural message. The world today tells us that our value lies in being consumers. The world tells us to grab and hold on to everything that we can. This time of year, especially as we look toward Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're supposed to inquire, uh, excuse me, we're supposed to acquire and indulge. The story of the consumer holidays is that we somehow aren't good enough yet, and so we shop and we buy and we consume and we acquire, and in all of that accumulation, somehow our lives become better, and somehow we become whole. But James tells us that that story is wrong. That kind of wealth rots and corrodes away. New clothes eventually go to the moss. Gold and silver, they don't last. And our consumption ends up burning us like fire. Along with asking ourselves whether we're oppressing or taking care of the poor, we also need to ask whether our hearts are all about consumption and presumption or whether we're focused on gratitude and humility. The second question tonight for us as rich rich Christians is whether our lives are all about acquiring more and more, or are they about being humbly grateful for what we've received? Last week, Pastor Greg preached on the end of James chapter 4, and he talked about the difference between presumption and humility. And really, that's what the beginning of James chapter 5 is about too. The world comes to us with the assumption that we will live in consumption and presumption. We will want and we will get. And we will keep getting and grabbing until we are satisfied in our self-indulgence. But that, says James, is all an empty pursuit. As Christians, we need to embrace a different story. A story of humility and grace. James 5, 1 to 6 is really working out a text from, from James 4, 10 that says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Good things come into our lives when we give up our control and our consumption. Good things come into our lives when we lay down our wealth, our pride, and ourselves before God and simply thank him for the blessings that he's given us and then turn around and use those blessings to bless others. James is talking to us Christians who have been so richly blessed by God, and he's telling us to humbly accept those blessings as gifts, and he's telling us to use those blessings to bless others. When we hold so tightly onto the material blessings that God gives us, those things just fade and rot away. But when we open up our hands and we give away God's blessings, we find true, lasting wealth in our Savior and in the community of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So in closing, be encouraged this evening. God will bring justice to this broken world. God cares for the hurting, 
for the poor and the oppressed, and he will bring justice. But also be challenged this evening. The Lord has given all of us many gifts and great responsibility. Use whatever has been entrusted to you well. Be always ready for Christ's return because we will have to give an accounting for what we have done. But finally this evening, be grateful and be at peace. God has given us so much. He has blessed us with possessions and family and friends and all kinds of things. But most of all, God has already blessed us with salvation. He's given us a place in his family. He's given his son for us, and he's given his spirit to live in us. So let us live humble lives of gratitude and service because God has graciously come near to us.